0: Hello there! My name is Skipper Melody and you're listening to D&D, a Stranger Things podcast. Join me as we go through Hawkins, Indiana, and the Upside Down to uncover clues and mysteries that are abound. From egos to Hawaiian pizza, this podcast is something you don't want to miss. So, thank you for listening, and let's dissect and discuss Stranger Things. Okay, so here is opening my first ever episode like actual episode of this Stranger Things podcast. So today we're reviewing Stranger Things, Chapter 1, The Vanishing of Will Byers. If you didn't get a chance to listen to the pilot, don't worry about it. I'll kind of explain as we go. The first thing we're going to do is the deep dive. So I'm going to kind of go through the episode, explain what happened, my thoughts on it, everything like that. Uh, We'll go over a few more things later on, but we're basically just going to chill out, have fun, and go through this episode together. If you haven't watched any other episode of Stranger Things, that's okay. Really, for this, you just need to have watched the first episode of Stranger Things. So if you haven't done that, and if you've never watched Stranger Things, I'd suggest going to do that first and then come back and I would be happy to speak with you. So without further ado, let's jump in. I have a lead. They said they wanted proof, right? So let's give it to them. You're relentless, you know that? I just look forward to you never doubting me again. Okay, we have our opening shot on a sea of stars. It kind of fades into this. Very reminiscent of how Star Wars starts their films with the immediate and there's the sea of stars behind it. Um, you know, there's that big clashing sound. So with Stranger Things, it opens on that sea of stars and it's really quiet. And especially now, like, I've watched Stranger Things mm, probably five times all the way through specific seasons. I've probably watched more than that. But watching it now, I'm just waiting for, like, this Star Wars bump, 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 bump. like, you're waiting for that to happen. <laughs> But, of course, it doesn't because this isn't Star Wars. Instead, we get the location title that kind of fades into the screen as well of November 6th, 1983 in Hawkins, Indiana. So, Netflix, when they originally released this show, there wasn't a lot of marketing about it. It was their... First original, well, it was one of their first original shows that they put on. I think it was their second. And there wasn't any marketing on it. They just dropped it on July 15th of 2016. And then it just catched like fire. So with us not knowing anything, now we know we're in the Midwest of the United States of America. And we're in the early 80s, which is... A fun time to be in. If you ever wonder why 80s culture is so big, it's because of this show. Uh, There's a lot of things that spurred because of this show. That is one of them. Anyone who follows Stranger Things on Instagram also knows that November 6th is now Stranger Things Day. So this episode is called The Vanishing of Will Byers. We'll see later that Will Byers does vanish on this night. And that's what starts the plot of the first season of Stranger Things. So November 6th is Stranger Things Day and you should definitely celebrate it. Another big similarity to Star Wars is that after that title, location title comes on the screen, it fades away and then it pans down from the star field to see something called Hawkins Lab. We get another no- location title in front of it that says Hawkins National Laboratory, U.S. Department of Energy. Now, later on, we'll discuss if that's actually what it's being used for. It's really weird that this is actually U.S. government, but, you know, it's fine. Um, So, like I said, once again, very reminiscent of Star Wars. Um, We find out a lot of things in this episode and that there is a girl named Eleven. So, when I was watching it this time around, I was thinking, hey... In A New Hope, they pan down from the starfield, and we see uh, Princess Leia Organa's ship running away from the big star destroyer that the Empire has. So you're panning down to see the villains chasing after a good guy. And, you know, later on in the episode, we find out that the people that work at Hawkins Lab are chasing after our female protagonist, Eleven, or one of our female protagonists. So... It was just reminding me of that, so let's keep on going. Uh, This set piece was actually an old Georgia Mental Health Institute that is now used as a building for the private Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. So this is somewhere that you can go see. I think the insides were filmed at a separate filming studio, but the outside, they used the facade of it. The next cut we have is to a hallway shot in my notes I put we got a hallway shot coming boys because hallway shots are the best. Now we're cut to the inside of the lab with a closing end shot on the door. Once again it's very quiet so you're just waiting and then that Star Wars finally comes but instead it's just a guy running through the door and he like barges through it and it just opens. I'm doing a lot of hand gestures and you can't see me so this is a lot of fun okay so I did check at the end of the credits what this guy's name was and his name is just elevator scientist so I am calling him Matt the radar technician I know that he does not have a lot of screen time in this episode and he's really not that important but he is now Matt so that's his name there you go email me if you have any objections. Alright, so as Matt is running, we see that lights are flickering on and off, so there's something going on with the power, Uh, but one of the funny things that you can notice is that when he gets to the elevator, the elevator is working completely fine, so obviously the power isn't going crazy for the elevator. And then same with the security camera, there's a red light under it that's not flashing at all, so that's working completely fine. Apparently, it's just the lights that are going haywire. Matt keeps looking back as if he's being chased, so he's definitely not running to something but from. Uh, he gets into this somehow working elevator and is suddenly pulled from something above as we hear a weird noise. We don't know what's above him, but really creepy. And we can probably assume that he is dead. So that, that's a good thing. Uh, Next we cut to what we find out is the Wheeler house and may I just say we have a great form of script writing here. It opens outside of the house and there's a voiceover saying something is coming something hungry for blood and of course we just saw something that was coming towards Matt and was probably hungry for blood I'm guessing. I don't know. I mean, I guess Matt could have been pulled just to the ceiling and is just sitting there, but I highly doubt it. And I just thought that was great script writing, so there you go. We see that this voiceover is coming from a character named Mike who is leading a D&D campaign. Once again, this show is the reason D&D is popular. It is the reason that D&D has grown so much. Uh, you can fight me on that, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. So as they're playing, Mike drops down this figurine of a Demogorgon, and the other boys start freaking out. We have Lucas, Will, and Dustin playing along with him. Uh, Lucas wants Will to roll a fireball for an attack against the Demogorgon, while Dustin wants him to cast Protection. That way, you know, it's less risky. Uh, It shows that Lucas is prone to offensive maneuvers, while Dustin is defensive, at least in this point in their lives. So Will rolls for a fireball, but he ends up losing the dice. And when they end up finding it later on, it's a seven, so he ended up losing. And Lucas tells him not to tell Mike. And that if Mike didn't see it, it didn't count. So they still have a chance to win if they pick up their game next week. Because, of course, our mom of Mike Wheeler is named Karen. We have a Karen in Stranger Things. We love it. Uh, Karen yells down at the kids and tells them that they need to go home because it's a school night. So just ruining D&D. Uh, these kids are in middle school. So I guess it's I, I guess it's uh. Okay, that she's saying that. Ted is the dad. Mike comes upstairs to ask Karen if, you know, they can still continue playing. Karen says no. And then he goes to ask the dad. And Ted says, I think you should listen to your mother. And that really tells you all you need to know about Ted. Ted is a very, like, absent father when it comes to the kids. It gives Karen a lot of power when it comes to the kids. As we follow through the season, we'll actually find out Karen's a really good mom, at least in this season. I like her this season. She she does good with her kids, or at least she tries to. Uh, we find out that Dustin is the best character ever. Like, he, he's just awesome. There's a box of pizza downstairs that they were eating and he offers the pizza to the boys that are leaving. And the boys say, no. And Dustin just looks exasperated. Dustin's like, what do you mean you're gonna leave this pizza here? This is perfectly good pizza. Why are you not gonna eat it? What's going on in your head? And so instead he decides to go up the stairs in this house that's not his. So he's very comfortable in this house, but he brings the pizza for a character named Nancy. Uh, So Nancy's door is open into her room, and it is a girly room, pink wallpaper, frilly bedspread. Uh, But she's like a teenager. She's talking on the phone to a girl named Barb. She mentions a cute boy, uh, and when Dustin asks her if she wants any pizza, she gets up from the bed, looks at him, gives him a sarcastic smile, and just slams the door in his face. And I feel like that's rude. And Dustin thinks the same thing, and he tells it to Mike while all the other boys are getting their bikes ready to leave Mike's house, and Lucas says that Nancy is dating a douchebag named Steve Harrington. Uh, Dustin recalls that Nancy dressed up for their elven campaign four years ago as like a defense to Nancy's character, and Mike reacts in a very younger brother who doesn't like their older sister way. He's basically just like, yeah, four years ago. And it's like, okay, Mike, give your, give your sister some credit. Like give credit where credit is due. All right. So after we leave Mike's house, uh, we watch the other three kids as they bike home. Will tells Mike before he leaves that he did lose to the Demogorgon. So even though Lucas told him to lie, Will, Will's honest. He's an honest guy and... He tells Mike the truth. Uh, When he leaves, the lights flicker outside of Mike's house. Mike just kind of shrugs, turns off the lights anyway, and goes inside. Will and Dustin challenge each other to bike to Dustin's house, which is right down the hill, and Dustin tells him, like, hey, if you beat me, you can have any one of my comics. And Will, as he does beat Dustin, shouts that he wants his X-Men comic 134. So Will starts driving down a road that we'll later find out is called Mirkwood. It's a very dark, abandoned road. Uh, There's a gated fence by this road that has a sign from Hawkins Lab warning off any crossing. Will's bike light flickers on and off before he looks up and sees Slenderman in the road. Like, Slenderman's there. I didn't know this was a Slenderman TV show, but apparently it is. Uh, Will crashes his bike and runs through the forest to get home, which I would be terrified of if I saw Slenderman. I am not about to go running towards the forest, but I guess Slenderman is on the road, so maybe that's the safer option. Will's a lot braver than me, and we're about to find this out. Will ends up going home, and there's a cute dog to greet him, but there's no other family members there. He tries to call nine one one, but somehow this monster is able to intercept the call. So I don't know how he's able to do that. Obviously, I'm thinking with the flashing lights, he has some sort of effect on electricity and technology. But I, I really don't have an exact answer for that. Uh, so this monster, also along with their way to mess with technology. Uh, Will had locked the door using a chain lock and this monster is able to unlock that chain lock from the outside just like not touching it maybe with its mind. Does it have telekinesis? I'm thinking it does because that's the only really that's the only way that could work but I don't know. Uh, Will decides to barricade himself inside the shed that's outside and starts loading a gun. Once again, Will is mm, 13 and just like like what he did with the Demogorgon when he cast Fireball. He's ready to fight. He's he's not putting up with this weird monster that he found on the road. He's ready to fight. Uh, but sadly, somehow... The monster comes inside the shed and Will Byers vanishes. He's He's gone. And we don't know where he went. That is the opening sequence of Stranger Things. And then there's the title sequence. So we're at 16 minutes and I think we only got through maybe like seven minutes of the actual show. So Up next we have Hopper's trailer. The morning of November 7th. So it's the next day. Throughout the entire scene you can hear the news playing on his TV and there's a few things that they mentioned that are pretty fun. So they mentioned that there were power outages in East Hawkins with some houses still waiting for power to be restored which is very strange since we saw a lot of light flickering on and off but we did see the lights come back on so I don't know. I don't know what's affecting what, if there was actually a power outage, if it's something that the monster's doing. The other thing they mention is to pack an umbrella for that night, which is important. If there's one thing that Stranger Things does well, it's their continuity. The umbrella is a lot of fun to remember, so just keep that in mind. The actual scene opens on a average drawing done by a child on the wall with a dad, mom, and a daughter. So you're like, oh, okay, this is a family's house. Uh, don't be so quick to judge. It pans around the room and there are clothes on the floor. There are pills and beer bottles and cigarettes all around. There's leftover food on the tables. And then you see this man, shirtless, belly sleeping on the couch so he didn't even make it to his bed that night and the tv's on so he probably just fell asleep drinking beer and watching tv uh he ends up getting up he showers brushes his teeth lights a cigarette then he takes some pills drinks beer and has another puff of his cigarette so that's the kind of life this guy has but then as he's getting dressed you find out that he is the chief of police So we have a leader in the county that obviously has some issues. Next up, we go to the buyer's house. Neither Jonathan or Joyce know that Will is gone yet. So Joyce is the mother of this household and Jonathan seems to be the older brother. Jonathan is cooking some breakfast on the stove while Joyce is trying to find her keys to be able to drive herself to work. We end up finding out that Jonathan wasn't home last night because he picked up a shift at work for the family. He said that uh, he thought that they could use the money, so we're dealing with a poorer household. Uh, from the bike ride the night before, we can tell that Will live farther away from the rest of his friend group. So if they're living on the outskirts of town in order to afford the house, that could make sense. Joyce is typical working single mom so she was working the night before and expected Jonathan to be there and when she found out he wasn't she kind of gets upset with him but it's not too bad. So what we see is after Joyce is able to find her keys she realizes that Will isn't up and she yells at Jonathan for this and says that it's Jonathan's job to wake Will up and apparently also make breakfast and no doubt probably take him to school as well. So Joyce puts a lot on Jonathan's shoulders and expects a lot of him, which is, I mean, okay for certain families, but also like cut him some slack. He was trying to do a nice thing. When Joyce realizes that Will never came home, she calls Karen and asks if Will stayed the night and Karen says no and then asks like, is anything wrong? And Joyce saves face by saying that Will went to school early. So this is kind of a fun detail just because it means that Joyce is conscious about her uh, reputation in the town, her self-image. And so she doesn't want this news getting out yet and especially not to Karen, which is interesting. Next up, we have some scenes at the middle school. It's on the same location as the high school, which again is very reminiscent of the Midwest. They're in Indiana. My school that I went to when I was living in the Midwest, we shared a busing route with the middle school, at least for the freshman building. They had like the middle school, the freshman building, and then the high school, which was sophomores to seniors. So. The first year of the freshman building, they shared a bus route with the middle school. Then the second year, they had rebuilt the freshman building and it was on the same campus as the high school. So then we shared a bus route and the middle school got their own bus route, but so I'm used to that sort of thing happening. So that was just fun to see. The kids roll up to school on their bikes and don't lock their bikes. There are no bike locks on any of these bikes, so I, I mean, I guess there's an honor system. I, I really don't know who's regulating that. Uh, they do remark that Will isn't there, and that usually he would be, but they, they don't know what's happened yet. So next up, we have some bullies that pull up, and my note just says bullies are bullies. The main bully, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to look up their names because they're just bullies. <laughs> they don't deserve it, <laughs> but. They have nicknames for all the people. So Lucas gets the nickname Midnight, which is problematic. Mike gets the nickname Frogface, which I just want to say Mike. Tom Holland had the same deal and look how he turned out. So just calm down. I know you're in 1983, but like it's going to be okay. Frogface is cool. And then Dustin gets Toothless, which is actually really mean because this is due to a disease that he was born with. Uh, and it's fun because the actual actor was born with it and they put it in the show. So it's cool. He actually names the disease in the show so it gives some uh, representation to that character. So next up we go over to the high school after we're done with the bullies and we see Nancy walking down the hall into the school and her friend Barb shows up. They start talking about this popular Steve Harrington Apparently Nancy has made out with him a couple times and Barb thinks that they're gonna get married. So it's very much a best friend conversation that they're having. Uh, But Steve leaves a note in Nancy's locker to meet up with him in the bathroom. She does, they have a quick makeout session. Steve asks her out on a date that night, but Nancy says that she has to study. Steve finally convinces her to hang out with him instead. Nancy tells him to meet at Dearborn and Maple to study and Steve says that he will be stealthy like a ninja. Which I'm like okay if this is your house I really don't know why you're saying meet at Dearborn and Maple. Those are just two streets. You're not even giving him a number? We end up finding out that Nancy lives at the end of a cul-de-sac. Usually a cul-de-sac has three houses on it. So he just has to choose from three houses. I really just don't think these directions are suitable for Steve Harrington, (laughs) but you know, I, I mean, at the end of the episode, we find out that he's able to get there. So what do I know? All right, next we go to the police department where we get the famous line, mornings are for coffee and contemplation. I cannot tell you how many coffee mugs I've seen with this quote on it. This quote was so popularized. It it was just Hopper's quote, and it was perfect. So Hopper is being told basically everything he's missed that morning by his receptionist, Flo. He came in late to work and Flo tells him that um, some kids are stealing garden gnomes, which Hopper replies with disinterest, and then that Joyce's kid is missing, which Hopper seems to react with the same disinterest. So love that this guy views kids stealing garden gnomes and a missing kid as the same thing, which is great. So, you know, kind of paints his character in a negative light. Uh, The entire situation reminds me of the scene from Saving Mr. Banks when Pamela Travers doesn't get invited to her premiere for the Mary Poppins movie and she ends up flying to London and is in Walt's office and his entire staff doesn't tell him that Travers is in his office and just lets him go in and be surprised. Uh, This time around, Flo is trying to tell him that Joyce is waiting for him in his office and he just refuses to listen. So Flo just goes, Fine, okay, go in. So Hopper does. And then he starts a missing report for Joyce. Uh, He offers some explanations to try to ease Joyce's mind, but none of the explanations Joyce thinks can apply to her son. In this scene, we have our first mention of Will being called queer or a fag. That's a direct quote from the show. And that's something that we can watch as the series goes on to see if there's any validity to that statement. So, Hopper states that 99 out of 100 cases Uh, The missing child is with a parent or relative. Joyce says that Will is going to be the one person and Hopper tells her that nothing bad happens in Hawkins. The worst thing that happens is this owl thinks that this woman's hair is a nest, which is really funny and I just want to see a Stranger Things short about that, but I don't think I'll get it. We have another really funny quote from this scene where Hopper tells Joyce to call her ex-husband Lonnie uh, to see if Will is with him and Hopper says that he's going to call Lonnie at first but Joyce says he'll talk to me before he talks to and then Hopper says a pig and Joyce says a cop so Hopper definitely thinks little of himself and thinks that others do as well when Joyce is just trying to be like Lonnie's not going to talk to cops. So try to call him, but he's not going to talk to you. Next up, we pull up to Hawkins Lab again, but this time it's daytime, so a lot less creepy. Uh, There's a man outside, and he is revealed to be Mr. Brenner, or Martin Brenner. And he is obviously important. He is being explained things about what's happening. Uh, There are hazmat suits that they are putting on as they enter the closed-off area. They go into the same elevator that we saw Matt go in, Uh, so I hope the same fate doesn't result to these characters. But as they go down to the floor that uh, Matt was in, there's a bunch of these weird like white cornflake particles in the air that are floating around. Uh, So it's possible that, you know, this air is toxic in some way. And it's the first time that we see a weird portal on the wall. There are these tentacle-like vines coming out of it, and it almost seems to be breathing. It's just very creepy. They mention a girl and that she can't have gone far. So... They mentioned that as they're looking at this portal, so there's got to be some kind of connection between this portal and whatever girl they're talking about. Again, it reminded me of Star Wars. We can look at the original trilogy with Vader saying, I want her alive, and then uh, Kylo Ren in the sequel trilogy saying, what girl when he hears about a girl? If you don't like the sequel trilogy, I'm sorry that you have a cold heart because you could just enjoy things but you refuse to. Okay, so next we cut to this girl, I'm guessing, because they immediately talked about one and now we're seeing one. Uh, she is dirty, barefoot, walking through the woods. She has a ripped hospital gown and a shaved head. I don't know what's happened to this girl, but it seems like she's been through it. So she finds a brush and is amazed by what's inside, including a little basket of french fries. So this girl is very disconnected from reality. She's obviously never seen the inside of a restaurant kitchen before. And she is just amazed by everything. As she eats the french fries, the owner sees her. His name is Benny, we find out later, and starts going after her. She thinks she's in trouble, starts running with the french fries. She's going to take them with her. And the owner catches her and becomes very concerned. Because what's not concerning about a girl with a shaved head and a hospital gown? It's dirty and barefoot. I would be a little concerned too. We cut back to the middle school to see a science teacher named Mr. Clark giving a farewell to his students when the bell rings. Our main boys love him. They're super attentive to him. And they ask him if something has shown up. And he starts with, well, boys, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but, and then just leaves him on the edge and the boys are just waiting. And then he says, it came. And the line delivery of that, superb. It's great. Uh, As they're going through it, Lucas says the S word and Mr. Clark like reprimands him, but then just lets him get away with it. Mr. Clark is very attentive to these kids and obviously loves them and wants them to have a safe space to be themselves. Uh, we all wish we had a teacher like Mr. Clark. So we end up finding out that the boys are part of Hawkins Middle A.V. Club, with Mike being the president and Dustin being the secretary of treasury. So Dustin is Hamilton and Mike is Washington, which means that Dustin would be his right-hand man, huh? I don't know if that exactly works for their characters, but we'll go with it. Uh, The principal of the school interrupts their little joy fest at this radio that's shown up that they're playing with and tells them that they need to see him in his office where Chief Hopper is waiting for them. So Hopper has gone to speak with these boys because they were the last ones who really interacted with him. And he learns about the Mirkwood nickname for the street, which comes from Lord of the Rings. And Hopper establishes dominance over the boys. The boys really want to go out and help look for Will. And Hopper is very much not about that and doesn't want more kids going missing. And at least in this situation... Hopper makes himself clear to the boys and they say that they understand and he just, you know, there's definitely an establishment of power amongst the boys. So next scene we have Castle Byers with Joyce walking up to it and she knocks on the door and we hear Will's voice from inside and uh, Joyce gives the password Radagast, which again is from Lord of the Rings. Joyce goes inside and shows him that she has two tickets for Poltergeist, which, why would you take a 13 year old to go see Poltergeist? I watched Poltergeist when, I think I watched it when I was 13 and it scared the crap out of me. And I did have nightmares for a week, so Joyce would not want to take me to see Poltergeist. Will apparently is or was scared of witches and Joyce makes fun of him for it. It's a really cute scene. It's really funny. But then it switches to the present day, where uh, Will is not in Castle Byers. That would have been a really short season if we found Will in Castle Byers. Uh, But Jonathan and Joyce are basically just looking for Will, and that was the place they went to. So Joyce was just having a memory. Then we go to Benny's Burgers again, where Eleven is hungry. She is eating a burger. She is speech deficient, closed off, unused to social customs, and has telekinesis so just like this monster was able to unlock the chain from the outside she's able to stop a fan with her mind just turn it off done we find out that she has a tattoo of a number on her wrist and that that is her name uh benny makes a call to social services like any sane person would do but this tattoo is the number 11 she says that's her name and it just makes you think why why is there an 11 tattooed on her wrist it almost makes it seem like she's a experiment the only other instance of tattoos on wrist and shaved heads is the holocaust which i'm not going to get into here that got really dark but this show gets really dark so i think that's fine um you know it it does make her seem like an experiment or definitely that they want to take the humanity out of her so whatever they were doing they didn't want to look at her as a human they wanted to look at her as a subject which is kind of frightening so i don't know what's going on with her but there were obviously some very scarring things that probably happened also i just want to point out very much like the holocaust that i brought up um it's gonna get dark for a second it's okay If you're triggered by that time in history, please just jump ahead a few seconds. I promise this will be quick. But when they were freeing people from the camps, they gave them food. And the people in the camps weren't used to the food that they were giving them. They were giving them food with seasoning on it and sugar and other things that their bodies were just not used to because they were so malnutritioned. And these people, like, their stomachs, basically exploded because they couldn't handle the food that they were given. Um, So they had to be very careful with getting those people accustomed to regular food again. This girl is eating french fries which have a lot of grease and now she's eating a burger which also has a lot of grease and he wants to give her ice cream. I don't know what they were feeding her in Hawkins' lap. I don't I don't know what her diet was that's never discussed anytime, but I doubt they were giving her greasy food burgers and fries. I seriously doubt it and I have no idea what this girl was eating. and I'm like, honey, you're gonna you're gonna have a really bad time later on digesting this. And like it's not something that's discussed later on. It's not a plot point, but realistically, this just isn't a good idea. Okay, so we go to Merkwood with the cops. The other cops in the back are just idiots. Like, every time Officer Callahan talks, he's just an idiot. I love him, but he's whatever. So Hopper takes some pills, which I don't know if they're pain pills. I have no idea. But then after he does so, he looks across the road and sees a dip, into the forest and sees Will's bike on the ground. Now, the exposition fence from before that has Hawkins' warning sign, Hawkins' lab warning sign on it, is now gone. So, Hopper doesn't get the exposition fence, which is gonna take Hopper a lot longer to find. Either that or the fence is on there and he's just ignoring it, which is also really funny, which I'm like, I don't know, like Hawkins Lab would be my first suspect once we've decided that something malicious has happened. If the Hawkins Lab sign is right there, I digress. Back to Hawkins Lab, we have an entire room dedicated to overhearing calls. We have a call room with people just sitting there listening to families and teenagers call each other. So that conversation that Nancy was having with Barb about a cute guy, probably overheard by Hawkins Lab because they're just listening into everything. So we can assume that any call is being traced, which is very big brother of Stranger Things to do. So Hopper goes to the buyer's household to return this bike. Um, But before he gets there, Joyce does try to call Lonnie. Lonnie doesn't answer and she gets very frustrated. Uh, So when Hop comes, he turns into Detective Hopper. He notices that there's a dent from the back door of the house that leads over to the shed. There's a dent in the wall from where Mike threw- oh, not Mike. From where Will burst open that door and it hit the wall, left a dent. Uh, then the dog is outside barking at the shed so Hopper gets suspicious and goes on in. A uh, thing you'll notice is that the gun that Will was loading is gone and Will was holding the gun. Winnie vanished. So I'm like, so I'm wondering, did you take the gun wherever you went to? I don't know, but the gun is gone too. So the gun has traveled somewhere along with Will. They're both gone. As he's in there, the light shuts off again and doesn't open until Officer Callahan comes through the door. Afterwards, Hopper calls for a search party because he is pretty concerned. And Officer Callahan just says the understatement of the year. "Hey." you think we have a problem here? I don't know, maybe. Officer Galleon, you're great. We're back to the Wheeler house and Karen puts the kids on house arrest until Will is found, which honestly is a smart idea for a parent to make if one kid is missing and we don't know why and there is now a search party for him. Maybe kidnapper serial killer like no I'm not letting my kids out of the house that's not happening I think that's completely reasonable Nancy and Mike both don't think this is reasonable because they're teenagers and they want to do what they want to do Nancy wants to hang out with Steve Mike wants to go looking for Will Karen says no Mike makes fun of Nancy and tells her that she's just upset because she wants to hang out with Steve which is true Uh, we find out that Karen and Ted did not know that Nancy was hanging out with someone named Steve, which is interesting. Both the kids leave the table in a fit of rage. And Ted keeps on eating his chicken, where we get the funniest line from Karen that says, I hope you're enjoying your chicken, Ted, which is just a great line from season one. Next, we go to the search party where we get some more character development of Hopper. So we have Mr. Clark, who we absolutely love already. He introduces himself to Hopper as the science teacher at Hawkins Middle. Hopp discloses that his daughter was named Sarah and that she has a scientific prowess and says that Sarah lives in the city with her mother. Now, after this, a random citizen goes up to Mr. Clark and tells him that Sarah actually died a few years ago. So we have this cop that lives in a trailer, drinks himself to sleep every night, takes pain pills throughout the day, very disconnected from his life, probably. Um, He has that picture hanging up in his house, but his daughter is dead and that's gotta be sad. And instead of living in the city with his wife, he is living in trailer alone. So, you know, kind of gives us some sympathy for, old chief hopper. Next we've got the walkie-talkie sequence, which walkie-talkie sequences are great in Stranger Things. They do a really good job with them. So Mike is starting to theorize about what could have happened to Will and Mike and Lucas decide to meet up. That way they can figure out a action plan to find Will. So Mike is leaving his house and he sees Steve Harrington trying to climb up to Nancy's window steve is not stealthy like ninja like he's he's doing a really bad job and mike just kind of shakes his head like oh my gosh this person's an idiot um when steve finally makes it up there nancy is upset that he came so nancy called him and told him that she was on house arrest so she couldn't meet up so instead he decided to come to the house which means That he knew where Nancy lived and that wherever Dearborn and Maple were was another place that Nancy was just, like, gonna get picked up at. I don't know how Steve knows where Nancy lives. Maybe there were, like, birthday parties at her house and she was invited when they were young. I have no idea how that works. I I don't know. But thankfully, I don't have to be confused about that for long because we immediately go to Benny's place again. And Eleven is eating ice cream, and Benny gets her to smile, and it's really cute. We just love Benny. He's so nice. And then Child Services comes, but it's not Child Services. It's, it's it's someone from the lab, and they shoot Benny in the head, kills him. Then Eleven gets scared and kills some other people, and then runs out towards the woods. So Eleven got, like, a few hours of normalcy and is now back on the run. She is also no longer wearing the hospital gown. She's wearing like a t-shirt from Benny's, which is cool. So we're back on the street of Merkwood, and we have the boys going down the street on their bikes. The music track here is so like the Goonies. It is so like the Goonies, like just listen to it. If you've ever seen the Goonies, you'll listen to it and you'll be like, oh, this is Goonies. And Mike is very much Mikey. In this scene and Dustin is, what's his name, Chuck? I think it's Chuck. Yeah, it, they're very much fitting into stereotypes of old 80s movies. The kids are looking for Will and they go in the woods because of course they do. Uh, back to Nancy's room where we had all that confusion before, they've just decided to just do the study session that Nancy was trying to do anyway. And Steve suggests to turn it into a stripping game, which tells you all you need to know about Steve's character. In the background, Africa by Toto is playing, which is just great music choice. We love that song. Um, Steve tries to get to second or third base with Nancy, but Nancy is very hesitant. Um, she compares herself to the other girls that Steve has been with, and she tells him that she's not going to be another notch in his belt, which, like... Good for you, Nancy. Good for you. Uh, Then we have this really sweet line where she says, you're an idiot, Steve Harrington. And he just looks at her seriously and says, you're beautiful, Nancy Wheeler. And even though Steve may not be the best in this season of Stranger Things, that's a really good line. And I appreciate it. Back to the buyer's house, we find out that Jonathan is a photographer. And Joyce didn't know this. Because Joyce is a single mom and has a lot on her plate and feels that Jonathan is an adult and makes him do a lot of things for the family, which is really sucky to Jonathan. But Joyce does apologize for this and apologizes for how she treats him, which is good. You, you should apologize to your son. You should recognize when you have done bad, which she hasn't. She's done fine. I, Joyce is great. I love Joyce. I have nothing wrong with her. But also, Jonathan deserves some love. Uh, We find out that it has started raining the night of November 7th. We heard the news this morning to pack an umbrella and it is now raining. The first option for continuity and Stranger Things took it. They ran with it. It is so much fun. If this is the first time you've watched the show, you probably didn't catch it. Rewatch at least the first episode just so you can get that. It's so fulfilling. I don't know why, but it's so nice. While she's in there, her phone starts ringing. She answers it and there's not a lot going on except a child's breathing. She identifies this as will breathing and then we hear a monster noise in the background and an electrical current is sent through the phone and the phone gets fried. So whatever this monster is able to do with technology, the monster was able to fry the phone, which is Insane, so that's wild. Back to the woods for our last scene before the credits uh, Dustin tempts Will again with the comic the X-Men comic 134 So we get another mention of that and then they find Elle. Well, they find Eleven and they zoom in on Mike So with the zoom in on Mike we can tell that Mike is gonna be a very main character energy character in this season and that him and Elle are going to be a pairing that we should follow along with. But then we have the roll credits, so that was it for the Deep Dive. You bought bastard. You're all so nerdy, it makes me physically ill. You long-haired freak. Alright, next up we have our Erica Sinclair character ratings. Uh, so through this I'm going to do any highlights that I didn't mention before and any characters that stood out and what the kind of um, stereotypes are in the show. So some clothing highlights I wanted to point out. Dustin's hat is iconic this season. There are a lot of iconic things that we are going to be seeing throughout this season and I will point them out, but Dustin's hat is kind of the first and it's just amazing. You can probably still buy it on Amazon. It, it's just one of those things that is always going to be around. Uh, next up, Lucas and Dustin are wearing coats that are very reminiscent of November's in the Midwest. Like, those are just, those are the coats you wear. And they're basically just basic winter coats. But I don't, I don't live in the Midwest anymore. And it just, it reminded me of my childhood. So I get it. Uh, the other thing is Will's Marty McFly coat. He's wearing like that puffy coat that has no sleeves on it, which is very reminiscent of Marty McFly from Back to the Future. Now, Marty was somebody who traveled back in time. So I'm wondering if Will traveled anywhere? Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I guess we'll find out. So next, all the characters that we were introduced to, and they were a lot for the first episode of a TV show. So by order of appearance, we have Matt the Radar Technician. Yes, that is his name. Fight me. Matt the Radar Technician, Mike Will, Dustin Lucas, Karen Ted, Nancy Hopper, Joyce, Jonathan Hawley, The Bullies, Barb, Steve, Officer Callahan, Officer Powell, Flo, Martin Brenner, Eleven, Benny, Mr. Clark, Connie Fraser, and Lonnie. Lonnie, we never actually met, but he is a character that's in there. He's the ex-husband. Connie Frazier was the woman who shot Benny and posed as social services. Benny and Matt, the radar technician, did not get a long time in this show, but they were standout performances. Let's be honest, especially Benny. Benny is great. He didn't deserve what he got. He's fantastic. We love him. Mike, Will, Dustin, and Lucas are all nerds. Will has left for the season. <laughs> he's, he's not, I mean, I hope he comes back eventually, but it uh, doesn't seem like he's going to be around for a minute. Uh, but Mike, Dustin, and Lucas are promising characters. I'm excited to see where they go. Nancy is definitely a Miss Perfect. I hope her character develops out of that. Uh, Steve is Mr. Popular and I can see that getting really annoying. Eleven gets the title for Strange in this episode. Eleven is the strangest character we get uh, because we really just don't know anything about her, so she is definitely the strangest. Holly is Mike's little sister, so there's Nancy, Mike, and then Holly. She is portrayed by two mini-actresses, kind of like what they did with Full House with the Olsen twins, so she has a great scene in episode four, I think. But, you know, she's just come there to be cute. So, those were Erica Sinclair's character ratings. Leave your train station. Stop waiting. Focus. Listen. Remember. Next up, for those of you that have not watched Stranger Things and are going to be watching along with me, I have Martin Brenner's Things to Notice or Remember. So these are things to keep in mind because they will come back. So be aware that the power flickers whenever the monster is near. This is something that we see a lot through this episode. So just keep that in mind because it's gonna be a sign that he's coming. Mike's blue sweater and gray sweatpants combo that he was wearing for 10 hours during the D&D campaign. I'm gonna keep it in mind, you guys keep it in mind. Because I think it it comes back later, and if it does, it's really disgusting. So we're just going to keep it there. I want you to think about it. We'll move on. So the monster has telekinesis. We're going to keep that in mind just because I don't remember any other instance where this thing uses telekinesis, but they use it to open the door lock, and I don't know how that works, so we're going to remember that. Um, The imagery alone of the chain lock unlocking from the outside is iconic. That will come back. That imagery comes back in season two. So just keep that in your mind. It's going to come back a long time from now, but it does. So just if it hasn't already ingrained in your brain, ingrain it now. The lab is constantly listening to any phone call. We need to remember that because we can have some laughs with that, uh, but we can also be worried with that. So anyone who's calling, someone might be listening. I don't know if that's the same with the walkie-talkies. I don't think it is, but with the phone calls, definitely need to watch it. So those were this week's Martin Brenner's Things to Notice or Remember. Final segment here is Murray Bauman's peek behind the curtain. If you have not watched every single episode of Stranger Things, there will be spoilers in this segment. This segment will not have an effect on any other thing that we talk about in next week's episode for the review of episode two, so you do not need to listen to this. You're not going to miss anything. This is just general thoughts and discussion for those of us that have finished Stranger Things. And for those of you that have finished it and are just wanting to listen to people talk about it. So now that I've said that, I hope you're gone. I hope to see you next week, but let's get on with it. They don't spend their lives trying to get a look at what's behind the curtain. They like the curtain. This, this would open the curtain and open the curtain behind that curtain. So the peek behind the curtain, first of all, the logistics of the Demogorgon in the elevator scene. When you start thinking about this elevator scene with Matt, the radar technician, it just gets really confusing because any other instance we've seen of the Demogorgon, it's not able to stick to the walls. It's not not like Spider-Man. It doesn't have Spider-Man powers. And when it falls through Joyce's ceiling, the ceiling becomes like a wave almost, and then he's trying to crash through the wave. And that's just not happening in the elevator like i i don't know how this creature is just up there i also don't know how matt goes into the elevator and does not see a freaking seven foot monster above him like i guess as humans we're not really able to see over the top of our head like we're not really worried about that but i just i i don't know why it bothers me but it does um Second thing, mention of X-Men comic 134. This comic has a lot of clues and a lot of speculation that can be done on it. One of the things I've noticed, uh, well, a few of the things I've noticed, um, the main character in it is the, gosh, what's her name? The Phoenix? You can correct me on that. It's okay. I'm not going to think of her name. But basically, she's a member of the X-Men who has telekinetic powers. And she's standing in it, and she has her hand out, which is very reminiscent to Eleven. And then on the side, it talks about, like, how Phoenix is teaming up with the Hellfire Club, which the Hellfire Club comes in Season 4 of Stranger Things. So it's like, is the Hellfire Club going to help Eleven in Season 5? I don't know. But basically, this comic is something that Stranger Things draws from a lot, including... Things like Back to the Future, Star Wars, E.T., um, Goonies, things like that. Number three, does the monster have telekinesis? Once again, I do not remember the Demogorgon having telekinesis at all. I don't know if it actually does. It, it just has it this one time. I don't know when it comes back. I don't know if it comes back. I, I mean, Vecna has telekinesis. The Mind Flare does not have telekinesis. I, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. Number four, why does Hopper react with such disinterest to Joyce's child being missing? Hopper and Joyce have a history from high school and I just feel like Hopper would connect a little bit more. This is also something that I think I have an answer to already which is just he's so disconnected from his life and he's just punishing himself so much for what happened with Sarah that he just doesn't care. He doesn't care anymore. I don't even know if Hopper hung out with Joyce in the four years that he's been back in the city before this event. Like I don't I don't think they got together for coffee or anything. Like I I don't know what their relationship has been like up to this point, but I know that he's been there, but he's obviously just so disconnected. Number 5. Will is or was scared of witches. There are a lot of theories going around that in Season 5, Will is going to be a traitor and is going to side with Vecna. Now, I would say that Eleven is very much a witch of some kind. If we want to talk about telekinesis, I mean the Scarlet Witch from Marvel has telekinetic powers. So I think I can draw a connection there. But so Will is or was scared of witches and Eleven is a witch. I don't know. Maybe he gets scared of her at some point. I mean, he's already he's already battling with her for Mike's attention. I do think that Will cares about Eleven as like a sister, but I I it was just something that they said, and it made me start thinking about it. So there's it. Okay, number six. Vecna's entire plan in relation to needing Gates being open. This is something that I understand once I start talking through it. So I need to talk through it. That way it's actually like posted somewhere for me to understand. But let's assume in season one, Vecna is in the upside down because he is. Cause now it's canon. So Vecna is in there and he has no way to reach the outside world until Eleven opens the gate in season one. Now, we figure out that Eleven has opened this gate before, and that's how she was able to send Vecna into there, but after that, it hasn't been open, and now Eleven has opened it again. So now that it's open, the Demogorgon is able to open other portals to get into Hawkins, or there are just other portals <laughs> opening in Hawkins because of the gate and that makes the barrier weak and so it's just opening but in this first season it's very much like the demogorgon is able to open the portal wherever he sees fit so i don't know exactly how that's working because if the demogorgon is able to open portals then when vecna has the mind flare go into the real world to get eleven's powers To be able to open portals, it just doesn't make sense because the Demogorgon is already able to, but maybe the Demogorgon is only able to because the gate is open so that barrier is weakened. And I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but then, 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 you have Season 3 where Vecna has built the Mind Flare for Eleven because he needs to get Eleven's powers to open gates. Fine. I don't care, whatever. At the end of season three, the gate is shut. There is no more gate. There, no gate is open, at least at that point. No gate is open. But the end credit scene in Russia has a Demogorgon. And we know from season two that when the gate is closed, all of the creatures like turn to dust and die. We see that. We see that at the end of season two and the beginning of season three. At the beginning of season three, when the gate opens, the dust particles from the mind player that were inside of Will come back to life. So then when they close, you would think that everything would be dead, but no, they have a Demogorgon that's alive. So I don't know how that works because no other gate has been opened yet. And we see that this monster has been killing prisoners in Russia for the past few months, Vecna hasn't opened a gate yet. When Vecna starts opening gates, I can allow for the Demogorgons to be alive, but that Demogorgon should not be alive and I don't know how it is. I just I just wanna point out the plot hole. I don't know how. I don't know if there's another gate open. I'm completely fine when Vecna starts opening gates if everything goes crazy, but that Demogorgon does not make sense. Do we understand? Okay, that was the end of Murray Bauman's peek behind the curtain. All right, everyone, for those of you who stayed with me, thank you for staying through the entire thing. I hope you enjoyed this first episode. If there's any notes that you want to give me or any questions that you have, uh, please go ahead and email me. My email is skippermelodyofthejnc at gmail.com. I will have it in the show notes here. Other than that, next week, I will see you guys for the review of uh, chapter two the weirdo on maple street which is one of the streets that nancy told steve to meet her at dearborn and maple so i guess we're going to maple street once again thank you guys for coming it was an honor hanging out with you and i will see you next week bye